Thank you, Ricky, for that ministry and music. When I first began to pastor, I didn't have any children. In fact, when I first began to pastor, I wasn't even married. And so I was naive about some things and what was expected. I remember visiting the first woman to have given birth in my pastorate, and I went to talk to her, and I came back, and I found out that I failed to ask the important questions. People were asking me, how big was the baby? I don't know. I didn't know you asked how big the baby was. How long's the baby? I don't know. I didn't know you asked what, how long the baby was. What time of day was the baby born? Well, it was at night. I know that. I don't know. I didn't know that there were these vital details that everyone needed to know about the birth of a baby. Well, interestingly enough, we don't know the weight of Jesus. We don't know the length of Jesus. We don't know the time of day that Jesus was born. We don't even know the day that Jesus was born. We celebrate December 25th as the date of the Lord's birth, but that's arbitrary. We don't know when Jesus was actually born, and it's even debated what year Jesus was born. We don't know for certain the exact (coughs) year in which Jesus was born. Now, that's rather striking to me that the Bible would leave out all of those details. And yet, we know what we need to know about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's really, really important. And today, we focus on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1.18. If you turn with me in your Bibles, Matthew 1.18 to 25 is my text. And it opens, Matthew 1.18, with these words. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. This is a depiction of what we need to know about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to keep that before us because the narrative is going to say a lot about Joseph. But it's really about Jesus. And we will see that at the end as we learn about Jesus' birth. Now, what do we need to know about Jesus' birth? Well, first, Mary was pregnant with Jesus before Joseph and Mary were married. Mary became pregnant with Jesus after Mary was engaged to Joseph. Look at verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother, notice again the emphasis is on Jesus, when his mother, Jesus' mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Now, the word betrothed is a difficult concept in our culture, for we don't do that. We, the closest thing that we have is an engagement. But what we need to keep in mind is that in our culture, an engagement is not binding. It's not legal. It's a declaration of intention of two people are planning to get married. They may set a date. And they have an intention of getting married, but it can be called off at any time prior to the time in which they say, I do. It has no legal element. The closest thing that we have 
in our culture into something that has a legal binding element to it as a prenuptial agreement. But usually that has to do with finances. And uh, people sign a prenuptial agreement of how they're going to disperse their property if they divorce. So it's anticipating a breakup. Well, that certainly isn't a betrothal either. A betrothal is a legal agreement committing two people to becoming married at a future date. A betrothal was most often <coughs> a legal contract between the parents of the future bride and groom. A dowry would have been paid, witnesses would have been present, and it was a legal process. They were dedicated to each other by law. It was in this period of their relationship that Mary becomes pregnant. And Mary was pregnant with Jesus before Joseph and Mary had any sexual relationship. Notice verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Jesus, before they came together, before they came together, before they had any sexual relationship, and before they had begun to live together. Mary's pregnancy came to the attention of all. Notice verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child. NAS, NIV, King James all translated it the same way. She was found to be with child. Interesting word. It was discovered that she was pregnant. You have to ask the question, discovered by whom? I would submit to you it's by everyone. It's saying that it's now common knowledge. Mary's pregnant. She's showing. And she's going to have a child. What is not common knowledge is the last part of the verse, verse 18, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that was not believed or accepted that her pregnancy was a result of a miraculous work of the power of God. But Mary indeed is, is pregnant. Result of God's power. That was not readily understood by most, including Joseph. Now the text focuses us upon Joseph. Joseph is referred to in verse 19 as her husband. Her husband. Uh, a literal translation of this would be her man. Joseph was her man. Uh, it says husband because... It's trying to convey to us what we can't convey in English. And that is that as far as this betrothal period is concerned, it's as good as the fact that they are married. That's why it's going to talk about having to divorce her. It's legal. Although it's also clear in the text, it hasn't reached the state that we think of a, a marriage relationship in our culture. Okay, They haven't said the I do's yet, but... They are legally committed to each other. 
Mary has a good man. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man. He's a, he's a good man. He is a, a righteous man. But that created a dilemma for Joseph because he was a good man, because he was a righteous man. Because Joseph was a good man, Mary's pregnancy created a predicament for him. On the one hand, he wanted to be kind and loving to Mary. On the other, at the same time, he could not overlook what he considered to be Mary's unfaithfulness to him as evidenced by her pregnancy. So, he's got a dilemma here. What is he to do with what he believes is an unfaithful to be wife? What is he to do now that everyone knows that Mary is pregnant? How is he to handle that? So we find out in verse 19, he's a good man, he's a just man, he's a righteous man. He's not willing to make her a public example. He doesn't want to disgrace her, but at the same time, does not believe that he can go through and marry her because of her unfaithfulness. And so it says that he designed to put her away, literally to divorce her privately, secretly, to end this relationship, to end this betrothal which would require a legal separation. It would require a divorce. Joseph must have known Mary's explanation for this birth. I I can't fathom that he's contemplating divorcing her without her saying, but this... I've, I've never been unfaithful to you. I've never been with anyone else. You've got to believe me. There is no one else in the picture. She must have explained all of this to Joseph. The visitation of the angel. Everything that took place. But Joseph wasn't buying it. He wasn't believing it. He wasn't accepting it. Now, put yourself... In Joseph's shoes. I think so many times we, we fail to do that in these New Testament narratives. Imagine you're engaged, and the person you're engaged to says, I was never with any man. I'm pregnant, but this is, this is God's doing. Uh, never, you know, it, it's a little much to accept, and Joseph doesn't accept it. But he's not vindictive. He did not want to cause Mary undue hardship or embarrassment. But he could not bring himself to marry her either. Because he was a just and he was a righteous man. What would it mean for Joseph to continue on and marry Mary? It would have been, in his mind, a... Proof positive that this baby was his. The fact that that he would not end this relationship would have been, in the minds of the people around him, that this is a confession of his own unfaithfulness and his own 
sinfulness in having this premarital relationship with Mary. His own reputation was on the line and at stake. This would be a direct reflection upon him. So, all of these thoughts are running through his mind. And then we have the intervention of God. God sends an angel to Joseph to tell him what to do. Matthew one twenty. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. The angel is described as an angel of the Lord. That is the Lord's angel. That is an angel sent from God. So God sent an angel to Joseph. An angel appeared to Joseph in a dream. And Joseph is instructed to go through with his plans of marrying Mary. Notice verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Don't hesitate. Do it. Follow through. This is God's instruction to Joseph. Joseph is told that Mary had not been unfaithful to him and that the child was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20. For that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Again, this would not have been the first time that Joseph would have heard this. But it was the first time he heard it from an angel. It's the first time that he had a vision. It's the first time he had a word from God. It's the first time he heard it from someone other than Mary. He's also told that she's going to give birth to a son. Verse 21. She'll bear a son. And Joseph is told that he is to name him Jesus. You should call him his name Jesus. Verse 21. And Joseph is told why he is to name the child Jesus. Verse 21. For it is he who will save his people from their sins. In the Greek, the he is emphatic. He, this one, this child, this baby that's going to be born, he will save his people from their sins. The very son will be a savior. That's the message. Let's look at Joseph's response to the heavenly vision. Joseph's response, he was fully obedient to all that God commanded him. Fully obedient to all that God commanded him. Verse 24. Now the vision is over. Joseph arose from his sleep. Joseph did what the angel had said. Verse 24. And did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Joseph married Mary. Verse 24. And took her as his wife. Joseph did not have any sexual relationship with Mary until after Jesus was born, verse 25, and kept her a virgin until until she gave birth to a son. So, he marries her, but they have no sexual relationship until after Jesus is born. And then, Joseph named Mary's son Jesus, verse 25. And he called his name Jesus. Jesus. That's the story. That's what he did. He followed through on the whole command that God had for him. Now let's pan back 
and look at the importance of what we just narrated. Why is this significant? Why is this important? You notice I skipped over verse 22, so let's go back there. Verse 22 is an aside. If you're familiar with theatrical terms, an aside is when a person steps away from the, from the action and says something directly to the audience. That has, has, it's an explanation of what's going on behind him, but is not part of the, the actual script. Well, here we have an aside. This is not the words of the angel to Joseph at this point. This is God's word to us to tell us what's going on. Verse 22. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, All of this took place so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Everything that's taking place has a higher trajectory than just Joseph and Mary. This is not just so that Joseph and Mary can get along. I can't imagine those conversations before the angel appears to Joseph. Remember, it says it is discovered that she is with child. I don't know how early she would have shown. But we're talking months from the time in which she is visited by the angel initially, because she's not pregnant, she's told she's going to become pregnant, to now. Months have passed. I don't know how long it took her to get up enough nerve to tell Joseph what was happening. I tend to think it probably happened pretty fast. Because the Magnificent, she's excited, she's joyful. Uh, she's celebrating what God has done. Uh, Joseph's not celebrating with her. Can't imagine those conversations. Can't imagine the inner turmoil by both of them on what's taking place. She upset because he doesn't believe her. He upset because he thinks that she's been unfaithful. And all the time he's going through his mind saying, what's the right thing to do here? I've got to divorce her. I don't want to disgrace her. I don't want to embarrass her. I don't want to be hard on her. But think of that whole process. But what we have before us isn't just because of their uneasiness with each other. That's not the impetus for the angel to come. It's bigger than that. And we have a quotation of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 4 in Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. A quotation of Again, the prophet Isaiah of this virgin birth. And in this prophecy, we find these things. A virgin will become pregnant. The virgin will give birth to a son. The child's name shall be called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. 
it is also that God will be with us. Pastor mentioned this morning that there are a number of names and titles for Jesus. His given name is Jesus. Christ is a title. It means Messiah. Jesus is not the first name and Christ the last name. He's not Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Christ. He's Jesus the Messiah. He's Jesus because he is Savior. He's Messiah because he's the promised one, the anointed one. That one that was to come. He is Emmanuel in this verse because God is with us. And the primary thought of God being with us is that now God is on our side. We are in fellowship with God, which required the forgiveness of sins. Thus, he is the Savior, but he is the Savior to bring us into fellowship with God. In Isaiah, you don't need to turn there, but in Isaiah chapter 7, there's this prophecy about the virgin will conceive and bear a son and they will call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. And then in chapter 8, the very next chapter in Isaiah, it says this, devise a plan, but it will be thwarted. State a proposal, but it will not stand, for God is with us. The idea is that do what you want, do what you may to the children of Israel, but it will not stand. Because God is on our side. God will thwart the plans of men to accomplish His purpose and His will. Because God is on our side. We're to see, first and foremost, in this passage, is that God was on the side of Mary and Joseph. I quoted Luke chapter 1 last week. And if you remember the greeting that the angel first gives to Mary when he comes in unto her and announces that she's going to give a bear a child, he says, Hail, thou who art highly favored of God, the Lord is with thee. The Lord is with you. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is watching over you. The Lord is protecting you. The Lord is keeping you. God is at work in your life to accomplish His purposes. Now, we have this in the side in Matthew chapter 1, that God is with us. And God was working. God was thwarting the plans of men, even Joseph's plans, to divorce Mary. Because God was with them. And God kept Joseph from making a big mistake. God prevented this great injustice from taking place. But it's more than just about Joseph and Mary. It's also about the importance of the lineage. Joseph, thou son of David, and Jesus is to be of the son of David. He's going to be of the tribe of David. He's to reign over the throne of his father forever. It's because he's to be reared in this godly home. 
with his father and mother. And so God was with them. Let me spend some time on an application and conclusion. What are we to learn from this story? Well, first and foremost, even in this passage, the central figure is not Joseph, it is Jesus. Matthew 18, excuse me, Matthew 118. Now the birth of Jesus Christ is in this way. It's about Jesus. The entire text is about Jesus. The other figures, Mary and Joseph, are secondary and only come into play, only introduced because of their relationship to Jesus. Why do we find out anything about Joseph? It's because he's Jesus' earthly father. Think about what we know about Joseph. Zip, zero, nadie, nothing. Joseph passes off the scene after this. We don't know when he dies. We don't know what happens to him. We know he's gone by the time of the crucifixion. But when he died, how he died, what he did, we don't know anything about Joseph because it's not about Joseph. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. The entire text is about Jesus, who he is, how he came into history, and what his role in ministry will be. The other figures are secondary, only come into play in their relationship to Jesus. We are to see and understand what it means that a Savior is born and that God is with his people. That has profound significance for everyday lives. For that, too, is our significance. Why are we significant in this world? It's because of our relationship to Jesus. It's because we are born again and we become the children of God that we have real meaning. That we are significant individuals. I won't take the time this morning, but I can look up a number of verses to talk about worthless men. Why are they worthless? Because they have no relationship to God. They don't have any eternity, any eternal value. Joseph and Mary have great eternal value because of their relationship to Jesus. And that's our eternal value because of our relationship to Jesus. It's not all about Joseph. Having said that, we learn some important things, though, through Joseph. First, we learn that Joseph's marriage to Mary is not all about Joseph and Mary. God has a bigger intention than just Mary and Joseph being happy. Just Mary and Joseph getting along. Or Mary and Joseph enjoying marital bliss. There's a whole lot more here than about Mary and Joseph. Notice the text says in verse 22, Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son. 
It's important that she's a virgin. It's important that she stays a virgin. She used to be a virgin when the baby is born. That's why the text says that he did not know her until she gave birth. It was important that she would be married. It was important for the will of God that all of this took place. Joseph teaches us that it is not about the appearance of being righteous. It's about being truly righteous. If you look at verse 19, it says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, a righteous man, a good man. We have been emphasizing the Beatitudes, the importance of the heart relationship with God. And we talked about how the Pharisees wanted to appear to be righteous. Joseph didn't want just to appear to be righteous. He wanted to be righteous. He wanted to do what was right. He didn't want just people to think about him being righteous. He really wanted to be righteous. And that was the cause of turmoil in his heart and mind. He loved Mary. He didn't want to disgrace Mary. He did not want to be vindictive against Mary. But at the same time, he couldn't bring himself to marry her because of her reputation and his. Because he was a righteous man. But when he found out from God that the right thing to do was to marry Mary, he was willing to take the public ridicule and disgrace. He was willing to appear unrighteous to be righteous. He was willing to incur the disfavor of people in order to incur the favor of God. He really was righteous because he really did want to do what was the right thing to do. His concern is genuine. So that Joseph's desire to please God delivers him from the temptation to yield to public pressure and ridicule. His commitment to God is seen in the most practical and genuine concerns of life. His righteousness is not obtuse. His righteousness is not ethereal. His righteousness is not in a vacuum. Notice that his righteousness transcends into his marriage. True Christian character impacts our marriages in a profound way. We may never encounter such a dramatic experience in our lives as Joseph's vision, but we will and do find ourselves having to make decisions in which we allow the Word of God to govern our lives. Joseph is set on a course of action. That is to divorce Mary. That's the trajectory. That's where he's headed until he finds out that that's not what God wants. And then he's on a new trajectory. Then he has a new course. Then he has a new plan. He's willing to submit his own desires and purpose to that overarching plan and will of God. And to realize 
that those decisions play an enormous role in the salvific plan of God. That this is all bigger than Joseph and Mary. But, see how he brings all things under subjection. For it tells us in verse 25, well, start with verse 24, he took her as his wife. Okay? So now, we move from the betrothal period to the actual marriage. He took her, past tense. She becomes his wife. Just as God said. And then, verse 25, and knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And even though they are now married, he has no sexual relationship to her until she gives birth. For this is the plan and will of God, that he be born of a virgin. And then the next statement, uh, until he had brought forth his firstborn son. The scripture does not teach the perpetual virginity of Mary. She has sons and daughters by, uh, we are told, in other places in the word of God. But up until this point, no sexual relationship. He's willing to bring his desires into check in order to do the will of God because he is a righteous individual. I would say to you this morning, do we see the practical application of personal righteousness and allegiance to God? Do we understand that our marriages are about more than our own happiness? Our marriages are for the accomplishment of God's will and glory. Mentioned in Sunday school, Malachi says that he hates divorce because he seeks a godly seed. Because he wants these children to be in a right relationship with God. We have a responsibility for our children every bit as much as Mary and Joseph had for Jesus. That's mind-boggling when you think about it. That God has a purpose and will for us that we must submit to, that we must follow. What a blessedness it is to live a righteous and holy life. What a blessedness for Mary to have been a virgin. What a blessedness for Mary to have been engaged to a godly man. Think about that. When it says that he was righteous... How wonderful it was for Mary that her husband was righteous. I wonder if she always understood it. I wonder if she always appreciated it. I wonder when he was toying in his mind about divorcing, divorcing, divorcing her because he was righteous. That she was saying, boy, I wish my husband wasn't so righteous. It turned out to be a tremendous blessing to her that her husband was righteous because he was willing to do what God wanted him to do. What a blessing it is to be married to someone who is willing to do what God wants them to do, even when it goes contrary to their own desires, their own thoughts, and even their own plans.
What a blessingness that is. What a blessedness to have a marriage dedicated to serving the will of the living and true God. What a unique relationship they must have had to each other from there forward. It was Mary and Joseph against the world. And they were together. And they were doing the will of God. And what a blessedness it was to others. For it is through their rearing of Jesus that he's going to be the Savior of the world. They take him to the temple and all those things that I don't have the opportunity to look at now. Do we see the practical application of righteousness? Well, let me go back again and pan back and say, but it's more than just about us. And it's more than just about our marriages. And it's more than about just our happiness. And it's even more than just our being used of God. It's about God's ultimate plan and will being accomplished. Theologically, we see the Trinity at work in this passage. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God brought to pass His Word. The emphasis is the Word which God gave to the prophet to speak. This was God's word. It was coming to pass. In ways that they never dreamed of. I believe that when we live righteous and godly lives, when we seek to do the will of God, that He will use us in ways in which we never imagined. In ways that we couldn't have understood even mattered. But you see, the virginity of Mary as a young girl mattered. Her being engaged to a godly man mattered. The godly man willing to listen to the will of God mattered. It all matters. In ways in which we cannot often readily see. But I tell you that it matters for salvific purposes. In the great sovereignty of God... How we live our lives affects whether or not other people are saved. Let me say that again. How we live our lives matters as to whether other people are saved or not. You say, I thought you believed in an election. I do. I believe in a sovereign God. And I believe a sovereign God works all things together. And so it says, now all this happened that it might be fulfilled. All this came to place to achieve the will of God. And in the incredible sovereignty and wonder and mystery of God, your righteous life matters for the salvation of other people. And if you're going to live unrighteously, it's going to affect negatively other people. Other people. The Holy Spirit brought about the virgin birth is the same Holy Spirit 
who gives life to those who are dead in trespasses and sins. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates us and gives us faith. It is the Holy Spirit that applies the redemptive work of God in our lives. This passage celebrates the concept that God is with us. When our sins are forgiven and we enjoy peace with God, God is on our side. God is at work. In the most simple and mundane aspects of our lives. When the angel appeared to Mary and said, Hail thou art who art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. She could not have heard greater or more comforting words. And it was because the Lord was with her that this whole situation in Mary and Joseph worked out. It is because God is with us. It's because He is our Savior. He transforms our lives, our relationships, our existence. It's not ethereal. It's not just out there. It's every day. Because we know Jesus Christ. He's at work accomplishing His purpose and His will in us. Let us just Willingly, As Mary said at the end last week, be it unto me according to your word. Just as this passage ends with Joseph doing all that the Lord had commanded him to do. May our response be, O God, what it is that you would have for me to do today, I will do it. Not in some incredibly unusual way, but in the normative existence of life. I'm going to be the husband. I'm going to be the wife. I'm going to be the young lady. I'm going to be the young man. I'm going to be the person and character that you instruct me to be from your word. And you are going to richly bless and use that to your honor and glory. May that be our heart and mind today as we focus on the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you That through Jesus Christ, you are with us. You are on our side. Our sins are forgiven, and we enjoy peace with God. Lord, we realize, and I hope in an ever-increasing and more powerful way, that even as John the Baptist was sent as a forerunner of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the father, even as we see in this passage, turning hearts of husbands and wives towards each other, may we understand that reconciliation with you means reconciliation with others. And may we also understand that in that reconciliation with others, it means the salvation of a people. May we understand what may seem as purely private matters of how we conduct our own affairs. May we understand, O God, that in your sovereignty, the private way in which we conduct our affairs are used by you to achieve great and mighty ends. Lord, help us to be a righteous people, not concerned just about appearance, but reality. Saying no to ourselves, saying no to our own desires, and yes, saying no to our own plans when they run contrary to your will. May we take your word as authoritative as if an angel stood before us.
and spoke to us what we are to do. Lord, may we realize that your word is that same word that was spoken by a prophet, Isaiah. May we understand that your word is your vision, your instruction, your teaching for us today. Oh Lord, help us to simply obey and do all that you reveal for us to your honor and glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.